Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am David Walker, you can call me DW, and this is the first in a series of podcasts where you, the listener, will get to know our stable of writers over at thefalcoholic.com. And of course, we have to start this series with the man who started it all hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Uh, He is the site runner, the editor-in-chief, and the wind beneath our wings. He's the Falcoholic himself. Dave Choate. Dave, thanks for doing this. Hundreds of years ago, huh? <laughs> you predated the National Football League with your coverage of the National Football League. I, I predated many concepts that we'll be discussing on this call, yeah. <laughs> oh, so I, I thought this would be an interesting series for people who listen to the podcast, for them to get to know uh, our different writers. We have a very very talented, very interesting group of people that write at thefalcoholic.com. But I think a lot of people don't know much about each one of us, uh, yourself included. So this podcast is an opportunity for our listeners to learn a little bit more about uh, you, what you're doing at the site, why you're doing it, some of your motivations. Uh, So let's just jump into, you know, some of the questions and, and you know, some of the things our listeners may want to know. Um, first of all, I guess the simplest thing is, you know, you you actually didn't grow up in Georgia. You're not from Atlanta. What made you a Falcons fan, and, and when did that happen? You know, um, like all tragic backstories, it began a long time <laughs> ago. Um, I was, you know, it's hard to say exactly when it started, but I, I trace it back to about the 91 playoffs. Um, I just, I was seven years old, maybe not even seven at that point. And uh, I remember watching them beat the Saints, um, which would become a lifelong obsession and loving the team, probably something about the uniforms. Again, I I was seven. So, you know, it's hard to remember exactly what piqued my interest. But from there, I remember sort of, you know, looking at the paper to follow box scores because the games weren't on that often. (laughs) And then I got uh, Tecmo Super Bowl for the Super Nintendo (laughs) <laughs> and I played as the Falcons nonstop, and it just kind of grew from there where I was following them, um, and then it got obviously easier and easier for me to do so, which may or may not have been a good thing. So it comes from an unknown place, I guess. I, I just fell in love with them at an early age for no good reason. Here I am. Uh, on that note, What's one of your earliest memories, fond or otherwise? <laughs> Obviously, with this this team, there can be some very dark memories. Uh, what are some of your earliest memories of this team? Um, I have some very good memories of Andre Risen. Um, I loved Andre Risen as a kid. Um, Jesse Tuggle as well. Just some of those, you know, big plays, especially with Tuggle. Just 
you know, and in your memory, these things grow too, where like I can see in my mind's eye, Jesse Tuggle tackling a guy and he just like folds into himself and disappears, you know, um, just remembering those kinds of big plays. And I also remember, I have very, very distinctive memories of Bobby Bear playing quarterback oh, yeah. for the Falcons. Um, and I don't know why that has stuck with me so much, and I really wish it hadn't, but I, I remember him very, very clearly um, right down to, you know, the hair and everything, which was an unfortunate <laughs> choice. Yeah, that was towards the back end of his career, and I think his arm had basically fallen off. Uh, at the, <laughs> I remember the Bobby Abier, uh experience in Atlanta, um, which was a bit weird since I think he spent most of his career with the Saints for him to migrate over to Atlanta. Um, the site, the Falcoholic, uh, was it your first foray into writing about this team? Uh, what, you know, when did you start writing about this team? And, and if it wasn't the Falcoholic, where was it? Can you give us a little bit of that backstory? Yeah, so it was it was the Falcoholic. Um, so going into college, I wanted to go into sports writing. Um, and it never, I, I never really ended up doing that um, as you know a traditional newspaper reporter or anything like that. Um, but what I did do was in 2006, um, I remember I was reading another SB Nation site, uh, Viva Alberto's, which was the St. Louis Cardinals blog at the time, um, and a couple others, and you know, being really impressed by them. Um, this was back in the, the dark ages of the internet, um, but they were really well written. They were cool. They were frequently updated. And, you know, I was thinking that would be a great way to start a career like that um, and, and to do something with the team that I actually cared about a lot. So I reached out to SB Nation in 2006. And at the time, there was not a single NFC South blog in existence. I think there were only like a handful of NFL blogs, period, for each team. And so I, I said to myself, you know, you, you don't have a ton of experience. But again, it was the dark ages of the internet. And I reached out um, with some writing samples and a little story about how long I had been a Falcons fan and how excited I was about uh, the 2006 season, which, again, in hindsight, not a great idea. Um, but uh, you know, it kind of worked out for me. I got lucky enough to kind of get a trial run at that in October 2006, and uh, somehow they haven't gotten rid of me since then. So that's almost almost 15 years. So this will be year 14. That's that's pretty remarkable. Um, there are a lot of people that will be into their third or fourth marriage at this point. <laughs> Being that you're a writer, and for those of us who write about this team, obviously. Uh, you will express some strong opinions or takes, as we call them, on the interwebs. And I, I would say you, more than most, get held to task for some of those takes in hindsight. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, as they say. But what's one of the worst takes, opinions that you put out there sort of proudly uh, or with confidence that you look back on and you think, oh, my God, that's that may be the worst opinion I've ever fielded about this team in my time covering them? I mean, there's so many choices, right? Um, <laughs> I, I feel like that's true. You know, anybody, if you're writing about sports for long enough, um, you're going to whiff really badly um, on a few things. I think, obviously, my track record in that regard is not any better than anyone else's, and it's probably worse. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to beat 
it's hard to beat the Matt Ryan um, take that I had leading up to the draft, um, which was, of course, that the Falcons should draft Glenn Dorsey and not Matt Ryan. And I was very, very um, adamant about that one. Um, and that was partly because I had seen, um, you know, a fair amount of Matt Ryan's career. He was local, um, going to school at Boston College. So I had seen those games. I didn't love him as a player then. And, you know, it was such a pivotal off season for the Falcons with everything that had happened and Petrino, you know, skipping town. And it felt like the franchise was kind of in flames and I just didn't want them to get it wrong. So I was not pro Ryan. I was definitely pro Dorsey. And I think that take looks worse every single year. Um, <laughs> and if Ryan ends up in Canton someday, you know, that's, that's pretty nuclear take in hindsight. I know I wasn't alone. That's the only thing that gives me any comfort, but that was, that was probably my worst one, just given how badly that's gone off the rails. <laughs> or, or I guess the opposite, how, how well it's worked out for the team. Um, oh yeah. On, yeah. Yeah. On that note, you know, what is maybe one of the best opinions you have where it, it held up and if anything, maybe you were, you were dead on with, one of your predictions? Um, well, there's a couple different ones that I look back on, I guess, pretty fondly. Um, one being that, you know, Julio Jones was probably worth it. I was a little bit tepid going in, but I've always felt that, you know, elite receivers, I, I know there's a lot of weird opinions about receivers out there right now. Like they're not, you can't win a Super Bowl with one. Um, you know, if you catch more balls than everyone else, you're better than everyone else. All those weird things. <laughs> Um, but with Julio, you know, it's just, he was so special and you could tell right out the gate. And I was pretty confident that one was going to work out. Um, and I feel pretty good about that. Another one that <laughs> I feel good about, but really didn't pan out for the Falcons was I was very much on the drafting Justin Houston, um, in mm. the first round train. And yeah. I was so incredulous that, you know, his stock was hit as badly as it was by, by, I think it marijuana. Incident. Yes. I think yep. that's what it was. Um, and, and so, you know, I was, I was stumping for him hardcore in the run up to that draft and I was, you know, right to do that, but it, obviously he landed somewhere else. Yeah, that was, uh, I think as a matter of fact, Scott Pioli, who was good friends with Dimitrov, uh, jumped ahead of us to draft him in the second round, if I remember right. Um, I think that's true. Yeah. 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 So, uh, we owe Mr. Uh, Pioli a, a nice uh, pat on the back for that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what is something that our readers slash listeners may not know about you that is interesting, different, maybe something that uh, in you know the past 14 years of you covering the site that probably no one knows about you? I don't know if no one knows this, but I think it's such a small thing um, that maybe it, it only gets passed around the writers group. But I, I was briefly along with uh, Gina Thomas in Hard Knocks back in 2014. Uh, <laughs> I actually went down to training camp that year um, to cover the team. You know, was hoping that things were going to work out better than they did that year. This is kind of the theme of this podcast, but um, I, I, you know, it was a hundred degrees out there and the cameras were on. And uh, at one point, Devonta Freeman uh, cutting down the sideline and, and there I am uh, wearing like three pounds of sunscreen, uh, <laughs> as you have to do if you're from up here. 
And <laughs> so that's something that I, I guess most people might not know. I, I think the other thing is that, you know, it, it, it's funny in this business, especially because we run a blog and we don't do a lot of actual reporting unless we get something that's really solid. But that, that is actually my background. That's what I went to school for. And I did spend four years as a newspaper reporter um, before this alcoholic really took off. Um, so it's, it's always kind of amusing to get the, the journalism ethics. Uh, what, what word am I looking here? Lecture um, <laughs> from somebody on Twitter with, you know, an egg avatar or whatnot. Oh, the eggs. The eggs are the best. All right. Some Falcons focused questions for you. Who is your all time favorite player and why? Yeah, it's definitely still Jesse Tuggle. Um, and you, again, I think, you know, when you're a kid, these guys are giants in a way that they, they can't really be when you're an adult. I think somebody like Julio, who is my current favorite Falcon, um, you know, is as close as it comes because he's just almost larger than life himself. Um, but for me, it was always Tuggle. Tuggle was just an amazing player. He was so physical. Um, it always felt like, you know, he was just ripping people's heads off left and right. Um, and as a kid, where, like, big plays and big hits are such a cool thing, um, it was so great to get to watch, you know, really the prime of his career in Atlanta. So he'll always be, I think, my favorite. Um, but, you know, guys over the years that have also been in that category, um, definitely Julio Jones. Um, I loved um, Terrence Mathis a lot. Mm. Um, yep. And of course, huge Jamal Anderson fan, and then huge Warwick Dunn fan, and basically a fan of every running back with a short career that's come through Atlanta, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, but you know, we've been pretty lucky. I, I'd say, you know, I think it's tough as a, as a Falcons fan because they fall short again and again. But we've also gotten so many cool players that have come through here, um, and, and we're so talented and so elite for even just a short time. You know, I, I think it's it's easy to lose sight of that, but the Falcons haven't been the, the true sad sack franchise in a while now. And so I, I feel lucky that I got to live through the better years of this, although I still hope they win a Super Bowl before I die. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on that same note, I mean, you mentioned Julio, but is he your favorite active player on the team at this point? He is. He is. I mean, him, uh, Deion Jones, obviously I love Matt Ryan. Um, and I, I find myself defending Matt Ryan a lot. Um, and, and I kind of owe it to him to like him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Julio and Debo, I think I've always been again, drawn to those guys that can do the impossible. Right. And it always feels like Julio Jones is doing something impossible and, and Deion Jones every now and then like that pick, I'll never forget that pick when they were in the all red jerseys against Drew Brees in the end zone. How the hell did he do that? Um, and I, I just love those moments. So guys like that, that are kind of, again, larger than life um, will always be some of my favorites. Yeah. So before we go forward with the rest of the questions I've got for you, Dave, we're, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. 
And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And we're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I am joined by the Falcoholic himself, Dave Choate, and we're talking about his time as a writer covering the Falcons, uh, his background, how he became a fan. Dave, you've talked about Jesse Tuggle being your all-time favorite, uh, Julio Jones being your current active favorite player. Uh, who are your top three? And I'm going to pin you down. It's got to be just three. Who would be the three Falcons players that you would say are the ones that if you were going to get posters and put them on the wall of your bedroom uh, as a teenage Dave Choate, who are those three guys? As a teenage Dave Choate, well, that's, uh, you know, I had hair. I was feeling good about myself. Um <laughs> You know, all my life was before me. Um, but I would say Julio Jones, I would say um, Jesse Tuggle, and I would say uh, Michael Vick. And, and again, you know, I I will always respect that not everyone loves Michael Vick for the way the career ended there and, you know, some of the things that he admitted about um, his attention to detail when he was with the Falcons. But that guy was just amazingly electric and I did have posters of him and figurines of him all over uh, my bedroom <laughs> when I was a teenager. So to me, he will always be one of those guys that just, you know, it didn't pan out the way we wanted it to, but there were some fantastic moments and he'll always be a favorite. Yeah. The, uh, I forget which version of Madden it was where he was basically a running cheat code in the game. 2004. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been playing uh, Madden with my best friend growing up, who's a Bills fan of all things. So there's something in the water near us. Um, but I've been playing Madden with him since 2000, 1999, something like that. And the only time I've consistently beaten him is when I had Vic in 2004, because there's just nothing you could do against him. And I, I just toy with him. I'd run up and down the sideline, and I miss that a lot. Yeah, he and honestly, I. I In the video game, you're not supposed to have a a player that is, quote, unquote, that special. Um, But on the field, it it did. It felt like he was really that guy. You know, when he was at his peak, he he couldn't be stopped. Um, It just seemed like he wouldn't hit that peak every single game. You know, just following up on the Vic thing, if you were a Falcons GM and you could go back in time, would you still have the Falcons draft him? Or do you think that the whole debacle of 2007 was enough that you'd say, avoid this player? Well, it depends. Can I change history or does it have to play out exactly the way that it does? Uh, we're going we're gonna to say it plays out the same. Yeah, I'd still probably take him. Um, you know, I, I mean, what else am I going to do? Am I going to take Drew Brees? You know, with my feelings as as a human being in the year 2020, I don't think I could go back and do that. Um, so, you know, as tempting as it might be to take Tomlinson um, 
and you know, if I, I guess if I was hell bent on the Falcons winning that decade, maybe I would have, but it, it would be hard to to say, you know, don't take Vic, not only because people would think I was crazy, but um, because again, some of those spectacular moments, those games, um, and those close calls where they got so close to the Super Bowl, um, they, they wouldn't have happened without him. They would be happening for someone else. And that's, uh, that's memories that you don't get back. Yeah. And I guess there's something to be said too for the fact that 2007, as horrible as it was, did lead to the fact that the, the team was able to draft Matt Ryan and that worked out, uh, fine in the end. So, um, all right. You, we've talked about the players and you mentioned, and I think it's actually a great point. The, the Falcons really have been fortunate in, in having a lot of top notch players come through the organization. Like even right now in the midst of some down seasons we're going through, we have two players who are arguably going to end up in Canton one day, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Uh, I think you can make a strong case for both players. Uh, but the coaches, I feel like, the Falcons have had some colorful coaches through the years. Um, you know, I, Jerry Glanville pops into my head. Uh, June Jones was an interesting one. But it, it, in your mind, who is your all-time favorite Falcons coach? It doesn't even necessarily have to be because of wins and losses. You know, just the coach that you enjoyed watching on the sidelines for the Falcons. I, I'll always be a Reeves guy. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said for the success the Falcons had under Mike Smith. And I think, you know, however that ended too, he was a great coach. He was the perfect coach for them, you know, especially from that 2008 to 2012 block, he was what they needed. But, um, you know, I, I firmly believe that Reeves was, was a great coach and that, you know, had he maybe been able to stick things out a little bit longer than he did, you know, blank used to fire coaches um, after, you know, a couple of setbacks and not, a lot of setbacks. Um, but I, I think that he would have done better with Vic than maybe Mora did coming after him. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the 98 season is always again, so magical to me, somebody who was, you know, 13, 14 years old when that happened, that I got nothing but fond memories about pretty much, but everyone, but uh, Eugene Robinson that year. Um, <laughs> so, and he's still great, but you know, not a great decision. Um, so, so to re- to me, Reeves is that guy. I think you know the periods of time that he kind of bridged over some of the work that he was able to do with the team um, will always be special to me. And you know, again, I think a lot of fandom is you know being nostalgic for what you had when you were younger and and when things felt maybe different and special and you weren't dreading you know, the next collapse in a way that you, you do when you're older and you understand how these things work better. So um, that's probably why Dan Quinn's not going to be making that list unless something spectacular happens this year. Yeah. Uh, well, let's hope it does. Um, fans have some pretty strong takes about players and mm-hmm. you get to see a lot of them firsthand. Um, who is maybe in your mind one of the most underrated Falcons uh, through the years that you've been covering them, the player maybe that fans are incessantly negative about that you just don't understand? Well, it would be easy to say Ryan um, because there is a vocal minority of the fan base um, that believes that he is the problem. And obviously we, we run into those arguments fairly often. Sure. We have those arguments. I'm a sucker for them. 
Um, but you know, most of the fan base, I think, is if not a huge Ryan enthusiast, certainly appreciative of his abilities. I think the guys that, that have tended to be underrated over the years, um, Desmond Trufant comes to mind. Mm. I know that he's never been a truly elite cornerback for the Falcons, but he's been a really good player for years and years. Um, and it, it just the expectations for corners um, are so. I, I want to say influenced by Deion Sanders almost because uh, yeah. I think anybody who grew up with, with watching Deion expects these guys to be super flashy playmakers. Um, and, and what Trufant does is a little bit quieter, um, yep. a little less flashy, but again, very good at it. And I think the other player that I think is, was underrated forever was, was Jonathan Babineau. And I, I, Babineau will always be one of my favorite guys from that era and and he was just such a a solid contributor every single year and again never or rarely made the big flashy plays but was always great always making an impact that didn't show up necessarily you know in 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 sacks or anything like that so those guys were were good to great players their entire careers i don't know if trufant's career in atlanta is coming to an end soon um, it might be with his cap number, but those guys come to mind as, as players that really chronically have been underrated, I think. All right. Uh, let's flip the coin. So maybe, you know, a player or two players that fans are raving about uh, or that they were pounding the table for, and you look at them and you're, you're like, I, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> uh, the one that comes to mind always, and he was very good, and, you know, don't get me wrong, but especially for, you know, that, that period of time when the Falcons were remaking their offensive line and not doing a very good job of it in, you know, 2013, 2014. Harvey Dahl was a guy that I, I, it used to drive me bananas how much people would, would say, you know, it was like he was the greatest guard of all time. You know, like, well, if we only had a guy like Harvey Dahl, you know, nobody here is as tough as Harvey Dahl. And he didn't spend that much time in Atlanta. Um, so I never really understood the extent to which fans were like all in on Harvey Dahl. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I, again, if, if you're listening, Harvey Dahl, you were a great player. I appreciate it, <laughs> but it's, I, I just, it, it was one of those things where it's the total opposite of like the, the hatred with Ryan. Like, it's just, you can't quite get to where that person is standing and giving you this opinion. Um, <laughs> Beyond that, I mean, it's, you know, I don't think there have been too many Falcons that I would say have been overrated. This fan base, um, more than many others, I think, they get swept up in things just like anybody else, but sure. I think they're very quick to come back down to earth on a player, um, maybe too far, but right. I, I just don't re recall too many players. Like, nobody was out there saying, like, Croy Bierman, he's our guy. <laughs> um, so... You know, I, I can't really think of anybody who's gotten that treatment and uh, and hasn't deserved it recently. It, it, at least to me, it feels like it's always in training camp, you know, like uh, oh, who was that wide receiver years ago, Amsterdam, that everyone thought was going to be the next great oh, receiver in the point. NFL. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I forgot about him and Bernard Reedy and, and right. Harvey and, and yeah, I, I mean, at some point you just get jaded because this guy has come through so many times and, and has a lot of promise and just can't make the team, ends up somewhere else, hopefully does something. But, yeah, that, that prototype, like, six receiver out of camp is, is a strong, 
strong nomination too. <laughs> yeah, we we could just put a generic like uh, faceless head and say uh, training camp receiver, uh, undoubtedly going to be overrated uh, by the fans. Oh yeah, yeah, like the Madden creative player face. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Last few questions. We'll wrap this up. Uh, what is your, in your eyes, the most gratifying win this team has had since you've been watching them? Um, it's still, it's still that 1998 NFC Conference Championship game. I, I can't mm-hmm. stress enough how it felt going into that game. You know, the Vikings were an unstoppable juggernaut. Like as good as the Falcons were, the Vikings were 15 and one. 15 and one, yeah. And it's insane to think like the Falcons were 14 and two and the Vikings were 15 and one, but that kind of matchup just doesn't happen very often in the NFL anymore. We have two utterly dominant teams in the same conference meeting up like that. Um, And so for the Falcons to pull that off, especially like in the dramatic fashion they did uh, that, that is still the most spectacular win to me um, out of any that I've seen. And I'll, I'll treasure that one forever, even if, the game that came after it was not so great. Um, so, you know, and then other strong contenders, obviously the, the 2016 NFC conference championship game was great. And I would nominate about half to three quarters of uh, that 2016, 2017 Super Bowl, And then we'll drop the subject. Yeah. I, I feel like the, a lot of the fans will probably gravitate to 2016 because certainly the, the win against the Seahawks was pretty amazing. Uh, and then I think there was a therapeutic sort of uh, revenge element for the 2010 loss to Green Bay. Yeah. Uh, that the 2016 NFC Championship game felt like uh, exercising that demon. Um, but I, I'm with you. I, I actually, the 1998 game was something special. For fans who didn't get to see it at the time, the energy in that game, especially. It, uh, I don't remember anyone picking the Falcons. Like they were a massive underdogs, uh, even being a 14 and two team. And I remember, you know, people talking about them saying, oh, well, you know, they're a paper tiger. They uh, beat a bunch of bad teams. And, uh, you know, 14 and two is a really tough record to get to uh, in the NFL period. So yeah. it, that I, I still, I'm with you. I, I feel like that is one of the the greatest all time wins for this franchise. Um on that note, thinking about the inarguably one of the worst losses in franchise history, um, how hard did twenty-eight to three that two thousand sixteen uh, Super Bowl hit you? Uh, I mean, was there a uh, period of time where you were like, "I'm done with this. I can't cover this team anymore"? Uh, were you numb to it at that point? So, you know, maybe give us an idea of what you were feeling in the aftermath of that loss. Well, um, yeah, I was, I, I mean, I, anyone, I, I don't think there was any reaction that the Falcons fan had right after that game that was inappropriate. Um, I don't mind telling you that I cried after that game. I I was devastated. I was so yeah. sure. And, and do keep in mind, too, that, you know, I live up here um, surrounded by Patriots fans. And that loss was so bad that, I, no one would even talk trash to me. They didn't want it. Like I was like a leper. Nobody even wanted to talk to mm. me um, because it was, it was, you know, it sucked. They already had all these rings. They, they knew that, well, it was exciting for them, that it, it really sucked for me. And some Patriots fans are not horrible. So um, that's, that's a takeaway. But 
I think the thing that helped me in the immediate aftermath of that was that, you know, I, I think our entire staff was considering whether they wanted to quit or not uh, <laughs> after that game. And I don't know if that's an exaggeration. And so, you know, what I tried to do while everybody was weighing that decision was, was right as much as I could. And it, it was therapeutic, even though, you know, I, certainly a lot of people on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, in the comments were like, why are you writing about this? But just keeping going, I guess, and, and just having something to do and something to think about that wasn't the immediate aftermath of that game was kind of what got me out of it. Um, and then long term, I think what, what also helped me really was the Saints fans running that into the ground so much, um, you know, a, a game they weren't involved in, turning it into like the stock response to everything that I said, um, that any of us said, you know, somehow that made it a little bit easier too, because you knew it was coming. It was so overplayed and you do get a little bit numb to it um, over time. But I, I'll tell you right now that, you know, I have never gone back and watched that entire game. and I, I don't think I ever will. Yeah. Same here. Um, all right. Last question for you. Uh, what are your thoughts on the current regime? And I mean that from, you know, all the way, all the way to the top, Arthur Blank, down to you know even the assistant coaches and what are your hopes for this season yeah this is uh this is the most pessimistic i've been about a falcons team in a long time i think um you know i have probably a fair reputation in the fan base for being uh, somebody who's easily swayed I, I like to believe in the falcons they've had more good seasons than bad over the last decade um at least close to even and so you know, I, I tend to talk myself into them in a way that I don't think I'm going to be able to do this year. And I, I feel really strongly that this was the year to make a big change. Um, you know, it had been two consecutive losing seasons. Arthur Blank had never in the past let that fly without changes. And, you know, knowing that the Falcons were going to be in kind of a transition phase here, where they're going to have to let some good players go. Um, you know, I, I hoped they wouldn't do that with Austin Hooper um, and Devondre Campbell, but it looks like probably both are gone. And that, you know, there's just, there's holes on the roster. There's questions about the approach that the team came out so ridiculously flat a year ago in what was supposed to be a must-win year. I kind of couldn't believe it when um, Blank decided to give them another chance. And And I don't know, you know, where exactly that comes from. I think the public statements on all of that um, will never tell the full story. You don't know why Blank made the decision he made, how involved Rich McKay was, what Quinn and Dimitrov were actually expected to do this year versus what they had to promise to do to keep those jobs. You know, whatever it is, you know, this team has just gotten to a point where it's hard to believe they're going to be able to take what's the core of the current team um, which I do believe is talented, and then the, the current coaching staff and really radically transform things. I, I can talk myself into a 9-7 season without that much difficulty if we have a good draft right. um, you know, in front of us, if, if there's a good free agent period, which I'm less certain on. But beyond that, I, I just I don't think that like playoffs are necessarily in, in the cards. You know, it was as much talent as this team has there's been way too many bad runs over time, way too many listless performances. And, you know, I don't think that it necessarily sends the right message to, to bring back the architects of that team 
and then say to you know some of your your better or more productive players over the last several years like see ya you know um so it, it's really a pivotal off season and i'm going to try to set my expectations to you know this team has been good about thinking toward the future they don't necessarily especially in the draft do things just to address this one little hole that they've opened up for themselves so you know, I'm going to keep my expectations muted. I, I'm hoping for at least a winning season, but I'm also hoping that whatever they do this off season uh, to clear contracts, to add new guys, to draft, um, is with an eye on that future because I think there, there's better years ahead, um, and they may still be well. Matt Ryan's here, but you know, they've got to make some hard decisions and they've got to do a better job of assembling the roster this year. And I'm not as confident as I'd like to be in that. Yeah, uh, I, I think there's many fans in with that same mindset, uh, obviously, going into this year. Um, Dave, thank you so much for setting aside time to let our listeners get to know a little bit more about you. Um, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you and uh, what we've got going on? Yeah, um, you can find me at the Falcoholic on Twitter um, and on the site, of course, writing as I do. Right now, we're wrapping up our best seasons ever series um, that we did, which were pretty fun. I, I like seeing the the votes on those, even if they do skew a little bit more recent. Um, but then we're also, you know, we're firmly into free agency and the draft, and the CBA is holding things up, but we're going to have a lot of great draft content for you guys. Um, continue to keep the tracker up to date to let you know who the Falcons are showing interest in. And, as soon as we hit March 18th um, and those flurry of moves are hopefully coming, um, we'll be all over that. Good deal. And folks, as always, you can find our coverage at thefalcoholic.com. And we'll be back here on the Falcoholic podcast in the coming weeks with more interviews, our Falcons news update, and hopefully in the near future, the standard uh, run-of-the-mill Falcoholic podcast with Gina Thomas. Uh, and as we get into the draft season, you can expect us to bring you some incredibly exciting crossfire podcasts as we debate uh, the players that we'll be looking at in this draft season. So for Dave Choate, the Falcoholic, this is Dave Walker. Thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll talk with you next time. <laughs>